Good morning. My name is Lauren, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. And I'm going to be reading in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. And this is the ESB. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. This is God's word. Thank you, God. All right, now you can take a seat. Thank you, Lauren, for reading that long passage for us. Um, man, what a morning. I do get emotional during baptisms. It's all right. Um, I think that that is uh, a healthy expression of my emotion. But um, come back next week. We've got more baptisms. You're going to get to see me cry again. We've got three more. And you know what? Like, this baptismal is always here. I don't know if you recognize it, but it's our communion table that's usually over there. We've got it. We're not renting this thing. If you have not been baptized, I'm serious. If you have not been baptized and you have faith in Jesus, or today or next week you put your faith in Jesus, come get baptized. Let's keep this thing full. It'll stay warm. We have heaters. We got fresh water. Let's keep baptizing people. Okay? Yeah. Um, Well, the baptisms and um, like just the, the hype around baptisms reminds me of when I was first baptized. Maybe uh, if you've been baptized, you're thinking on that. Um, it, maybe it takes you back to a time where faith and life and things felt really new and hopeful and exciting. Uh, kids, we've got a lot of kids in here this morning. We wanted to share this special celebration with uh, whole families and, and our young children just to show them like, this is it. This is what we're called here for. Um, Kids, think on a time where you felt really excited, like for Christmas coming up or a trip that you're about to take, and you're just filled with that hope and excitement, right? Adults, you can think about those things too. Now, there's something about that feeling that just is like, 
even though you don't have the thing you're longing for, you're satisfied. Like you know it's coming, right? Have you ever felt the opposite of that? Maybe a good way to describe the opposite of hopeful and excited is stuck. You ever felt stuck? Like there's just this cycle, this monotony, this toil to life that just seems to not end. And you're wondering when it's gonna stop. We have a seven-month-old baby, and so that's how we feel about sleep right now. But many of us have that same, that same part of our life about something much different. And just, I want to consider that. I want to get into that space because for me, there was this time right before the pandemic hit, the couple months right before the pandemic hit where I, I really felt like, man, I'm, I'm just stuck in this monotonous toil. Work was the same thing over and over, show up every day, show up every week, and nothing changes, right? And you feel like that in your life. But then I even felt like that in my faith. The very thing that I'm meant to turn to, that I'm being told to turn to, that scripture tells me is supposed to fill me with such joy, just doesn't seem to be doing the trick for me, right? Anybody else? Or you kind of just feel, I'm gonna use that word again, stuck. Just feels like an endless cycle. Is anything gonna change? And you begin to grow despondent and hopeless. You're longing for more. On my best days, life was just stale, right? But on my worst days, I was anxious and often depressed. I think this is a normal human experience. So I want you to hear me say, you are not behind, you are not alone, you are human. You probably feel this way or have felt this way recently. You are not behind and you are not alone. You're human. Whether you're a Christian or not, you get that feeling, that sense, that longing for more, right? So, We are designed for more than what this world has to offer. When we were created, we're created in the likeness and the image of our Father, our Creator, meant to live with Him and like Him. But sin broke that version of us. And now we live with this longing, this sense of things are not as they should be. And our inner being is constantly trying to get back to that satisfaction in being with and like our Father. But while we're here, while we wait for Jesus to come back and bring us into that fulfillment, we have this longing, so it's natural. That's why I say you're human. That sense of there's gotta be more than this is real and it's right and it's good because there is more. There is a way to be with our Father again and like Him, finding our full joy, our full satisfaction in Him. And I'll even say, Peter says here in verse 13 and 14, that not just our, our joy and our satisfaction, but the fullness of our hope in Jesus. Now, we rarely experience the fullness of our hope. There's nothing in this world that can bring us to the fullness of our hope. 
kids, Christmas, what the, that anticipation, that eagerness, that excitement you feel when you're 10 days away from Christmas, eight days away, one day away, and you're begging to, ask, to open that one gift on Christmas Eve, that eagerness is not the fullness of the hope that's inside of you. Just wait until you meet Jesus and he gives you the fullness of hope in him that one day we'll be with our father and like him again. And so these first 12 verses in 1 Peter 1, Peter's explaining this new life, this fullness of hope that we have in our new identity, our new relationship with our father. He describes it as being born again. It's such a drastic change from anything else we could have ever put our hope in that there's no other way to describe it than a brand new life. The fullness of our hope in Jesus is like being born as a baby all over again, full of hopeful innocence, what things could be. So that's why verse 13 starts, therefore. We're born again, we're God's people, our identity is secure in him, Jesus paid the price. And this is not a brand new story, this is the story God's been telling all through humanity that he promised to come back for us. We are not our broken selves anymore, but we are with our Father and being made like him. So for us who believe in Jesus, we're being we're being made new, we're born again. And it, it also says that we're, we're made in the holiness of God. Peter uses a, a Levitical reference. We're not in Joshua, but you guys thought that you could escape my references to um, the Old Testament, especially Leviticus. But Peter quotes in verse 16, Leviticus 11. And he says, you shall be holy. This is God speaking to his people. You shall be holy for I am holy. This is a command and a promise. God is saying, you will need to walk in the holiness that I'm giving you. That's a command. But the promise is, you shall, you will be holy. Well, one particular thing as we define holiness is that holiness can only come from the source of holiness, so there's, there's two parts of creation. There's holy and there's common. Now common, it, it, the word describes it, right? It's just everything else. It's all the normal stuff. Holy is something set apart. It's something better and more. It's not just moral, ethical purification. That's part of it. That's more the fruit of holiness. Holiness is this otherness. And so when we start talking about God and scripture talks about God, we're talking about the holiness of God in his otherness. That's why we have such a hard time just imagining what is God like? It's hard for us because he's so holy. He's so more and better than we could ever imagine. But he's also the source of holiness. Common things cannot make other common things holy. Only holy things can make common things holy. And so we, in our, our commonness um, as unbelievers in Christ, the only way we can be changed to be made like God, to be holy like him, set apart 
and othered is that God would look on us with favor and offer us his own holiness. This is the promise that Peter is giving us here in verse 16, that God does offer us his own holiness. He does offer us a way to not be our broken, fragile selves anymore, but that he would make us brand new. And not only brand new, but that he would make us like himself. That's better than being a new version of our broken selves. This text here in 1 Peter is a transitional text. And so uh, verses 13 through 25 takes us from our, our identity and our image as God's people, his chosen children. And it, it, this passage transforms us into, okay, well, how do we live like that? So verses 13 through 25 bridge the gap between our identity as holy and our activity as holy. Well, how do we go from being told that we are holy to now then living holy? I wanna focus on a story, a very short story that Jesus gives us in Matthew 7. You're probably familiar with it because it's probably terrified you. It's terrified me. Let's look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Just take a deep breath. Take a drink of water. Too much coffee this morning. Matthew 7. We'll have it on the screen as well. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is within um, the Sermon on the Mount. It's like this great teaching that Jesus gives to thousands of people. And he warns them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, Jesus takes the focus of Christian activity and shows that Christian activity on itself is not a foundation, but that faith and knowledge and union with Jesus is the foundation of our Christian activity. I'll put it this way. Our Christian works, our good deeds, our Christian activity must come from Christian belief. What did Jesus say was lawless, not, obeying, not disobeying the law? These were people that obeyed the law. And he said, you are workers of lawlessness because you didn't know me. Our focus on what we do, what everyone else is doing, will end us up looking at Matthew 7 in terror, wondering, is that me? It should put us there. Christianity is about knowing Jesus. It's about letting his love and his hope transform us to where the, the works are now a fruit of our faith. I'm gonna say that one more time. Christianity is about knowing Jesus and letting his love and his hope transform us 
I have, to, I have to repeat that because I have to know that too. When I think back on that story that, of, of being stuck back before the pandemic, um, that's not just a one-time thing. I get flashes of that often. And so as we're meditating on how we're feeling now, are we feeling stuck? Are we feeling like we're in this monotonous cycle? I just want to remind you that doing more good Christian things will not get you out of it. Or stopping all the bad non-Christian things will not get you out of it. Jesus says in Matthew 7, know me. That will get you out of the futile, monotonous toil. Christian faith is about knowing Jesus, letting his love and his hope transform us and make us like our Father. Now, let me explain with the image that Peter uses here in 1 Peter. Let me explain to you this love and hope found in Jesus. So let's look at uh, verses 18 through 21. There's one particular word that's gonna clue us in on the image that Peter's using. In verse 18, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers. You were ransomed. Now that word ransomed, in our context, we think of that as like somebody got um, like held hostage in a bank and they're wanting a, a ransom or there's a kidnapping and they want a ransom. That's similar. What Peter is writing about here is first century Greco-Roman slavery. Any history buffs? Do we know a little bit about first century Greco-Roman slavery? Probably not. That's okay because the meaning behind this illustration still applies. Now, first century Greco-Roman slavery was something that you got yourself into or you kept yourself out of. So it's merit-based, usually economically driven. Sometimes there were chemical, uh, criminal implications. If, um, if you broke the, a certain law, you would you'd become a slave, but most of this was indentured slavery, meaning if you had a bad run of business, natural disaster, you experienced significant financial or economic loss that you don't have the surplus of funds to make up for. Now, what I'm describing is a normal human experience. That's why we have Discover, Capital One, local banks, like a government regulated lending program, insurance. They didn't have all this, first century Greece, Rome. What they had was indentured slavery. So you get in a bad way financially, you can't just put it on the plastic. You can't go call your insurance agent. You lose your life. Your family doesn't get to see you you live in someone else's home working for them 24-7. You have a slave master. And the slave master gets to work you as hard as they want for as long as they want until you make up the money that you owe them. Or you make up um, for whatever the criminal charges were um, valued at. And so as you're working your life away as an indentured slave... You're collecting this silver and this gold. Then you, you think you have enough to pay off your debt. You take your silver and your gold 
you go with your slave master and you go to the local Roman deity, the local temple. You lay your silver and gold at the feet of the, the God in this temple. And the, the priest at this temple counts it up, looks at the charges and determines whether or not, he judges whether or not you're redeemed. That silver and gold, that's called the price. That's the ransom. And when you and your slave master are staying there and the priest says, God such and such redeems you. The credit is given to the Roman God, not your work, not the life that you lost. The God then redeems you and you're set free. But it's not a permanent freedom because what happens when another natural disaster occurs? What happens when you're at a financial loss again? You're not able to make ends meet. What do you, have to, what do, you do? What's the only option? You can choose to put yourself back into slavery or you are forcibly put back into slavery. This is not a permanent redemption. The ransom that you earn cannot cut it for you for the rest of your life. You're either working to keep yourself out of slavery or getting yourself out of slavery. Does that sound familiar? I just heard a big mm-hmm. I don't know if that was thunder or if that was you guys. <laughs> that we are either spending our lives keeping ourselves out of slavery or getting ourselves out of slavery. This is the human condition. This is not a first century Greco-Roman slavery. Like we don't live under that kind of law and regulation, but we still live with that inside of our nature. That system was developed because it's human nature. And so what do we do when we feel stuck? And like, we're just living our lives in feudal submission to sin and death and slavery to our own desires and slavery to our jobs that we feel like we're forced to do something that we just really don't wanna do because we have to pay our bills or we feel like we're stuck in a place that maybe we don't belong there Maybe we're just waiting. I don't know how many times I heard this week, either on the phone or sitting down with lunch for somebody, I feel like I'm just waiting. I feel like I'm stuck. Let me remind you again, you are not alone and you are not behind. You are human. And so this, this feudal toil, this, it feels like this never ends, this meaningless, pointless life that feels stuck. Part of why we feel this way, this isn't the whole of it, but this is what Peter is focusing on here. Remember, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So we're talking about Christian activity, the thing we have to do before we can live holy lives is to be holy. Just be holy. Does that help? Just be holy. Oh, that, man, I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. That's not how it works. But if we look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, we look at what Peter says uh, in his letter to the, the church in what we know as modern day Turkey. He says, it's about knowing Jesus. It's about our hope being fully set on Jesus. Let me, I'm gonna read a, a Jackie Hill Perry quote. 
Um, it's a little bit long, but on the, on the screen, I've shared a shorter bit of it. This is what Jackie Hill Perry says about holiness that we get from God. She says, when I was growing up, I heard the messaging, um, so sermons and re- revival messages and um, devotionals and um, whatever uh, other output that we would m- try to consume as a way to, to become more holy, right? This is where she's, the context she's speaking about. She said, I heard the messaging about how to live holy was more about stop. Stop sinning, stop having idols, stop giving into the flesh. It was always stop. I don't think this helps us. I think what helps us is to say, behold, look up, look at God, see him, watch him, learn him, observe him. By beholding, we become. This is 2 Corinthians 3, which says that when we look at the glory of God, we become like him. And I would add to that, this is 1 Peter 1. When we look to the glory of God, we become like him. Now, throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, you will hear the Holy Spirit say, put your sin to death. So stopping doing things is important. What, she's, the, what the point she's emphasizing here is that we stop sinning by looking to Jesus, by beholding Jesus, by putting our hope fully in what Jesus has already offered to us. There is more than just our futile, meaningless, pointless stuckness. There is more. Because your Father in heaven has ransomed you. All that silver and gold that we've built up to take to the temple for ourselves, to walk up to the, the God with our slave master, only to be told it's not enough. Go back to your slavery. Or as we live in fear, constantly wondering, when am I going to go back into slavery? What natural disaster, what, what economic disaster is going to put me right back there? Your father in heaven sent you the price, sent you the ransom in his son, Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice in his spilled blood paid the price for your sin, to, your slavery to sin and death. It paid it forever. It was permanent. It was a better price than the silver and the gold that we work for. Do you know how I know it's better? Because Peter mentions he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So he was God, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He came down to heaven for you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was raised from the dead as a way to say, to spit in the face of sin and death and say, you are disarmed. Your slave master has no power over you. I hear whispers of, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Guys, this, 
What Peter is saying in slavery to sin and death is our former life that we constantly choose to turn back to. And we don't have to. That's not the life we live anymore. That's the whole point of the first chapter of 1 Peter is to say, no, 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 no. Sin and death were disarmed. I paid the price and it was enough. That is permanent. The blood of Jesus spilled for us on the cross was given so that we would never be slaves to sin and death again. It seems too good to be true, but you don't have to work for it. You just say yes. And it's this gospel, it's this truth, it's this hope that when our faith is put fully in the hope that Jesus offers us, it transforms us. Let me, let me explain. Peter shows us three things. There's three parts of uh, this passage that are both a prescription and a description of the church when she is holy. So remember, we're in this We Are the Church series, so we're talking about us as a collective people, but you are also individuals within the collective, right, for those of us who are, are Christians. What you need to know is that when the church puts her hope fully in Jesus, she looks like these three things. So this is descriptive. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she fears God. I'll explain in just a second. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she prays. And when the church hopes fully in Jesus, she keeps scripture in her heart. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she fears God. And it's important for us to let go of our cultural understanding of the word fear we have an incredibly negative perspective on fear. Um, fear itself is not bad. When scripture says fear God, what it's likening this fear to is the way that a child should relate to its parents. If a child turns and runs away from its parents, and I'm, I'm talking like my kids, six and under, when a child turns from its parents, it becomes homeless, hungry, cold, and in danger. We as the church fear God knowing that in him we have everything we need. And we cling to him as our father, trusting that in him we have a place to belong. We have our daily bread this is what Psalm 23 means. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she fears God. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she prays. This is especially one that is both descriptive and prescriptive. There's an old Puritan saying that, that goes, pray until you pray. It's like, just, it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some practice. 
Just keep at it. Because prayer is the practice dependence on God. When we fear God and know that we have all we need in him and everything that will kill us outside of him, and we know we need God, we will pray. But prayer can also connect us to that neediness. When the church hopes fully in Jesus, she prays. And the third one, when the church hopes fully in Jesus, she keeps scripture in her heart. Now there's, Peter specifically does not give a mode or a method of, well, how do we use scripture? What do we do with it? As a church, as an individual, there's, there's uh, multiple ways whether that's personal uh, Bible study, congregational Bible study, um, there, there's lots of different options. But what he says here uh, in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Living and abiding means that it's part of your being. It goes with you wherever you go. You keep the word in your heart. And what that requires is non-specifically the individual and the congregational scripture, right? And so we, we meditate on it as individuals and we remember it as a people. We keep the word in our heart because scripture connects us to our neediness for God's love and it reminds us that he provides. Scripture teaches us to pray. Do you see how these build on each other? That when we fear God, we know we need him. When we know we need him, we pray to him because we need his relationship. We need his intimate love, but we also need all the things he can give us to keep us alive. But we often forget that or we often turn from that and scripture connects us to that need and it teaches us how to pray when we don't have the words if you've, ever, if you've ever felt in your stuckness, like, I just can't pray. I don't know even how to do that. I don't know the words to use. Go to the Psalms and just read them. Read one a day or read a couple every morning, afternoon, whatever you wanna do. You'll find one that connects to the moment you're in and just pray it. Pray it until you can't anymore. Fear of God, prayer, and scripture show us that the only way to be fully satisfied, to put our hope fully in Jesus, to be truly transformed from our former way, our futile ways into newness of life with Christ, is to put our hope fully in Jesus to meet all of our needs, our needs of salvation, our, our needs of daily bread, our needs of personal intimacy, with him. Now, for those of you who long for more from this life, I think I'm talking to the whole room. We're gonna, we're gonna get the opportunity to practice this morning meditating on Jesus as the fulfillment of that longing. Remember, you were designed to long for more than this life. 
You were designed to long to be with your father and like your father in heaven. And so as we take the bread and the cup this morning, meditate on that, that Jesus is the only way to be with and like our father in heaven. And I wanna urge you, you're gonna be tempted to chase after transformation. You're gonna be tempted to practice fearing God, to use prayer as a mode of transformation, to read scripture so that you'll be made new. Resist that temptation. Once you chase transformation, you lose it. Behold Jesus. Set your hope fully on Jesus. And it is in prayer and scripture that you find him. So as we take the bread and the cup, um, remember, he's the only way. And if, if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm gonna ask you, I'm asking everybody, but I, wa- I wanna specifically speak to you as a non-believer. Don't you long for more? Maybe not today. Maybe you're like, nah, I'm good. I got a pretty good life going. Don't you ever long for more? than what the futile toil and meaningless cycle of this life has to offer. And I will tell you, you have not experienced the fullness of your hope until you've put it in Jesus. If you make that decision this morning to put your hope in Christ, please come talk to myself. Uh, if there's something about this room, you just need to get out and talk to somebody, Brian's gonna be in the kids' hall. He's working in one of the kids' rooms today. Go find Brian. Come talk to us. We wanna baptize you. Let's keep this thing full. Let's keep this going. Holy Father, we confess to you that even, even for those of us who have put our faith in your son, we are frequently and often chasing after something else to satisfy this longing that we have to be with you and be like you. Would you forgive us? Would you supernaturally just fill our hearts with hope in your son as we take communion today together as a church, knowing that we are changed by the gospel, that we are changed by hope in Jesus? We're not changed by our our, uh, behavior getting better. We're not changed even by being motivated to do good works. We are only changed by setting our hope fully in Jesus. Would you remind us of this truth? And would you remind us of what he's given us and being made like you and being... um, put back in relationship with you so that when we feel stuck, we feel like we're in this endless cycle that you'd offer us a way out, a way to find comfort and peace by hoping in him. God, would you lead us to worship? We pray these things in the name of your son. Amen.